Welcome to Quad Life. I'm your host, Brian Bell. On today's show, Kirsten Sharp. Kirsten's love of psychology, storytelling, and being around people has taken her on a diverse journey from producer at Roundhouse Radio to host at SCIBC TV, to peer counselor to working in visual effects and animation, just to name a few. Through university and high school, she told her story to people throughout the province, inspiring her audience to always live their passions and reach their goals and erase the stigma around disability. Kirsten completed her degree in business administration and psychology and eventually went back to school to complete the BCIT Media and Communications Diploma in Television Production. Kirsten is an avid volunteer and is always willing to try something once. She stays active on the tennis courts and has traveled the world, competing on the ITF wheelchair tennis circuit. Well, I remember when you hurt yourself, I had no idea how our lives would reconnect. Yeah, right? You were really young when you got injured. What what was that like for you? Are we recording? Like, are we starting? Okay. Go on. I just should have uh, said welcome to quad life. Yeah. <laughs> to you first. <laughs> welcome to quad life. You know, it's funny. I, I have this chat um, with someone else that was injured when he was four. And I truly believe that when you're injured young, depending on your family and depending on your life that you're currently living, a lot of the times it's easier because you are thrown into what you have to do. So you don't really have a choice to go back to school. You try to integrate yourself with your friends. Um, You just keep going. Like for me, GF Strong, the rehab center was a little bit of a summer camp. I mean, as, as crazy as that sounds, and then sort of reality hits, but you have this support from your family, support from, you know, most of your friends and you just keep going. Like you don't really have a choice. Now, is that hard on the ego? Is it hard on the psyche? Is there other things that are involved that are really hard to handle? Yeah. But depending on your personality, it's kind of that you haven't established what your career is going to be. You haven't sort of changed mid trajectory of your life. Some people look at it as like, oh, well, you got to walk for 30 years and try all these different things. I don't know if I missed out on that, but um, I do think there's parts that are easier to being injured young. The downside is, you know, I was injured almost 30 years ago. It was 29 years now, 29 and a half. And as you know, things have changed so much. So if what was available to everyone who's injured now, to me back then, wow, my life would have been really different. Would I have been changed? Possibly because I've, I've seen things change. So I'm also really thankful for the changes that have happened and to be able to see it progress. Like, I guess it's like talking to your grandma who got to see the invention of color TV and you're like, wow, yeah. this is such a difference. So there's a young kid who's eight and he's like, uh, what do you mean? TVs used to be black and white. I wanted 8K. Yeah. Uh, so I'm thankful for 
the changes I've been able to see when I was first released out of the hospital, I think the biggest thing for me was stigma and it was what other people saw in me. And I didn't have that aha moment till probably 10 years ago when I started getting more and more involved in sports um, that people with disabilities are just the same as anyone else. They're the assholes. They're the great ones. There are the people you do not want to be associated with. And there are the people that you fight to be associated with. And that's a really cool feeling. And it took me a long time as a kid to accept that. And I'm really great that grateful that I've come to the point where I do accept that. And, and you, you virtually had no peer support of, of any kind. Um, I would argue that I had some. Now I didn't have the benefit of Facebook or being able to connect that easily. But once I left the hospital, I didn't talk to many. There was one girl that I went to stay with in Kamloops shortly after I drove. And there was a guy in the hospital who, um, he was great. He was from Alberta and my family kind of adopted him because it was really hard for his family. He was from Cranbrook. So he came to um, which is essentially Alberta, not Alberta, but um, he came, his family couldn't visit him as much because they were that far away. So my family helped him. And when right. I um, got my license, he's like, I'm bringing my car down so you can drive it. So there was little sprinkles of it. And I think I was also very, I guess, picky about who I spent my time with. Um, you know, Steph and I are still friends today. She was my roommate in the hospital, Stephanie Q. And if we were closer in age, it may have been easier to stay in touch, but I was 14, she was 19. And that's a big age difference. It's not like you're 40 and 45. Yeah. Um, and then Terry was the first person that I met that I really had something in common with and saw a purpose in having a friend in a chair before I was like, why do I want to be friends with this person if I don't have anything in common with them? Oh, like I didn't okay. feel I needed that connection. So I kind of resisted that more than anything. And I was separated. I was, um, I was put on the third floor. So I was on the stroke and brain injury floor. Oh. Uh, my parents fought for me to be on the spinal cord ward, but they, um, the hospital told them there was too many drugs and they didn't want me to get involved in that and et cetera, oh, wow. et cetera. Yeah. And my parents, they were really good. They were like, no, we just want her to be around people who are going through the same thing. And, yep. you know, she's not going to be addicted to drugs. She's not going to do this. And if she does, we'll deal with it later. We need to deal with this first. So was there a period of time when you sort of felt alone before you kind of started to find people that you could relate to or were you able to just to get enough support um till you kind of met terry and people like that you know i don't i don't really think i saw myself as different and needed that support and i i don't know if that was right or wrong at the time but um I was really good at knowing my own body. I was really good at knowing what was going on. Um, when Stephanie and Sherry started a women's group, I was, I guess, in my early 20s. So I'd been injured for a good eight years. And I started 
peer mentoring other women. And that was helpful for me to learn some of the things that were going on. Like um, someone had told me they no longer took bladder meds. And I'm like, wait, I thought this is what I was supposed to do. Um, and learning that someone else could do it, I went off them. Like those things for me were really helpful. And learning that other people, you know, are experiencing that same thing as you are. Yeah. Um, It's kind of interesting. I interviewed uh, Chris Marks recently, and he just was saying that the average age of injury has shifted to people in their 50s versus when I was injured, it was largely males 18 to 30. Being a peer mentor, have you seen a difference in how people cope with their injuries later in life? Uh, Later in life is really tough. I would, I don't know the statistics now, but falls have always been in the top three injury, like most, um, most causes of spinal cord injury. Um, I know that cars are getting safer. So they're, if someone is in a car accident, it's usually pretty devastating um, in terms of an injury because it's got to be pretty harsh to hurt you, basically. Um, yeah. But sorry for your question. I, I used to do stats for the BC Injury Prevention Center, so I worked for them for about nine years. And I guess I knew people that way as well. Um, back to your other question, I'm going all over the place. but That's okay. There, I used to take stats for everyone who was injured. So I would see everything but the name. I would see their age. I would see their level of injury and I would see the cause. And then I would see they were um, um, admitted into uh, Shaughnessy at the time. And if it was someone over 50, literally I would have tears in my eyes because that's someone who's lived their life. That's someone who's, that's a really, really big change. And I think a lot of, who they are is connected to their ego and yeah. someone who's that age has a hard enough times with change as it is, but people in those age groups as a peer mentor, I would find them the most difficult to convince that life was still worth living and that they were still worthy to their family, that they could still go back to their job. Um, all of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I found with those people, you really had to go to the extreme of what you could do. You know, I'd be like, yeah, well, I've gone bungee jumping. And he's like, well, if you've done that, maybe I could be a massage therapist. I'm like, if you wanted to be, you could. Now, maybe mm-hmm. be hard for a higher level quad, but. Um, use the elbows. Yeah, use the elbows, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do. I, my heart always went out to someone who for me had a harder time adapting to change. And I think that is one of the key things that you have to learn as someone with a spinal cord injury. Now, the other thing you have to learn is scheduling. And Terry and I always joke that um, we feel we have to have control. Like there's some aspect of a situation that needs to make us feel comfortable and we have to have control over what's happening in order to know that it's going to be okay for us to be there. Does that make sense? Like control over just whatever it is that you are doing at that. Or like control, control over the whole situation. 
no control over if you're going on a trip, having a hand in booking the room, having a hand uh, in calling the hotel, um, knowing what date this is going to come up because is it going to be on your routine day? Is it like just knowing details of something so that you can plan your own life and what your routine is around that? And that's a, a calming thing for you. I think so. Yeah. If you know that, if you know what to expect, you worry a lot less. Yeah. Basically, I guess that's it. The crux of it. I, think I feel like it. that when I travel, I just, I like to know as much as I can about where I'm going to be. And, you know, obviously when you go traveling, you want to be comfortable. Yeah, exactly. And if you're going to a friend's house, you want to know if they have stairs. Do I have to be embarrassed when I show up? Do they have a bathroom I can use? Do I need to drink before I leave? Do I need to stop drinking before? Yeah. Do you think more people being injured older will have an impact on support offered for those injured younger? Does it make a difference? I don't think so. I'd be interesting, interested to see the numbers in that because as far as I know, it's still pretty high for men 20 to 40 i mean as a woman and i believe the statistic is still around 15 to 20 percent so the support offered for women is pretty nil mm. and our bodies are so different but that doesn't really change for able-bodied i would hope it doesn't have a difference in terms of the support offered one of the huge things is vocational support and people actually going back to work if they want to is that one of the bigger changes that you've noticed in yeah. the community? Absolutely. People really worry about how they're going to make any money, especially if they have no insurance. Yeah. In 2000, you started with SCIBC, formerly known as BC Paraplegic Association, as a peer mentor. What did it mean to you to get to that position? I think it was um, a really good feeling to work with Steph and Brad and to be able to help shape the program and what it was going to look like to people who needed that support. And I've worked with SCIBC three times in the past and still I volunteer with them every year. I do their fundraising every year, seeing how they've been able to change and seeing the effect on people that they have is is really really heartwarming you know i'll be at gf strong and someone will come up to me and just say you've made the world of difference and for for me as a you know 40 year old woman and hearing this from a 25 year old guy it's a good feeling because that's not who you expect to make that difference with and if you have the ability to help change someone's life and help make them realize that they're also pretty rad, that's a good feeling. Cool. Um, is do you think there's like a hierarchy in in peer mentorship? Kind of like is there a um, organizational chart? <laughs> like this, this person's the CEO, and is that what you mean? Well, it's like. Senior versus junior versus calling somebody an official peer mentor creates a dynamic where we're no longer peers. 
just one person has questions and the other person has the answers type of thing. It's in this position where we we're become larger than life in a way to the no. other people, the younger, to the, the newbies. I believe in life. Even if you were talking about your career or your job, um, being a leader or a mentor or that person that someone looks up to gives you the opportunity to learn not only about yourself but about that person and it gives you that opportunity to grow and i think to approach the situation with an open mind and an open heart both people are going to benefit from that dynamic and if we're saying that there's a hierarchy and and one person's better than the other, or it's given them this sense of I'm better than you, or however it is, I think they're going to fail at being a peer mentor. Mm -hmm. Working for SC, SCI BC looks like a lot of fun. I've been watching those YouTube videos you've been doing. <laughs> I wish. Well, I wish we could continue those. Those were super fun. What's the best one you've done so far? I like the WCMX and I really like the exoskeleton. The whole point of those videos was to show the public that anything is possible and really take that, wow, you can do that moment out of people you meet on the street. Um, and for peers, going to the extreme and showing them, hey, if you can jump your chair in a skate park, then you could go to work for the day. Yeah. Like I just, I, I really think taking that extreme and showcasing peers, I mean, it gave me an opportunity to learn. It gave me an opportunity to do great things and meet great people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's super fun. Right on. I'm just tired of people coming up to me and saying, wow, you can do that. Or, you're so pretty to be in a wheelchair. It's like, hmm. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, every woman I know has had that. that that's You're so too pretty funny. to be in a wheelchair. I've never, I've never heard that. Really? Yeah. What does that say about you, Brian? Well, no, I, what I've heard is, uh, uh, yeah, you you seem uh, like a nice guy. Like, what? what why are you in a wheelchair sort of thing? Karma. Karma's a bitch. No. Yeah. You graduated from Simon Fraser University with a degree in business administration and psychology. Yes. Where did that take you to? Um, it took me to a level of education that I could get a job. I have a huge love for psychology and how um, people's minds work and how behavior affects them every single day. I did not want to be a psychologist. I did not want to listen to people complain. I spent six months of my life in hospital and saw some pretty gnarly things happen to really, really good people. And I told one of my psych profs, I'm like, I don't think I could handle someone complaining about a broken nail. I mean, I was exaggerating, but my point was, I don't think I was ready for that. And I wanted to be creative. So after working for SCIBC, I was able to go back to school. I went to BCIT. I did um, a diploma in television. 
and was able to work at a number of different places. I've worked in um, television news. I've hosted talk radio shows. My bulk of work has been in visual effects and animation and on the like producer side. So it's kind of like a project manager. You deal with budgets, you lead teams of artists, you get to be creative, you get to flex that muscle. Um, but you also get to solve puzzles and it's fun. I enjoy it. Um, there's been ups and downs. A lot of it is contract work and it's hard. Um, also in visual effects, it's an animation, very long hours, which is hard on your body as someone with a spinal cord injury. Yeah. But so, I'm lucky. I've done some some fun things. Got to work on TV shows, movies, lots of video games, lots of trailers for video games. Um, and now and you're working at Roundhouse Radio. No, I'm done Roundhouse. Yeah, Roundhouse unfortunately closed. I'm with a company called Daz 3D. So you're yeah. doing you're doing visual effects again. Um, it's actually a really different setup and it's been a huge learning curve especially with losing my dad I started at the company basically the same time my dad was going through all these tests it is the best way I can describe it is like an eBay but for 3d art okay I know I understand that because of uh, podcasting they'll have you can get music and stuff like that if you want and different effects and stuff you can download and pay for yeah so it's a store it has its own software um, which isn't very widely used in terms of the industry but it is free software so we have artists who submit items to us they'll submit models they'll submit um, animations they'll submit hair they'll submit characters environments and then we decide whether or not we want to buy them or broker them. And then we put them on the store and we either get full sales if we bought them out or they get half the sales. So it's, it's a big learning curve because I don't know the software. Not that I'm, I'm an artist, um, but I at least understood the process of the other software. And this is very different. So it's just been a bit of a learning curve, but I really enjoy the company. It's based out of Salt Lake City. So there's a very small team here in Vancouver. Do you have to go down there or will you have to go down there? I will, yeah. It but more to meet the team and but who knows when that will happen. So just remote for now and Yeah, and there will be an office in Vancouver, but at the moment we're all working from home. Wow. What does creativity mean to you? I think it just gives your brain an opportunity to have fun. I love brainstorming. I just think there's certain values people have and one of them for me is creativity, passionate. Like I just, I love coming up with ideas. I love working in teams. I do not love working by myself very much. I mean, if I have a project, I can go and do it, but I just, I love words. I love storytelling. I love being able to talk to someone and find out that little thing that no one else will care to ask and learning what their story is. What's the most creative thing that you've done that makes you really proud i think creativity is measured in so many ways but in when i was in school at bcit we did a documentary on the collapse of the second narrows bridge oh wow yeah it was super cool we found the survivors and we interviewed them or i interviewed them and then we edited it and put it together and i just learned so much about about people about history about vancouver history um super awesome i loved it 
Did and you then, interview Phil Newton? I did. I you used know, to work it, for Phil. Really? Yeah, when I was working at Candive. Oh, that's hilarious. Yes, we did, because he was um, one of the diver support, right? And he found, he heard it on his radio as he was driving down the hill, if I remember correctly. It was a long time ago that I did this, but yeah. I believe that's right. Yeah. And then everything about the radio station was super creative. I just had the platform to tell people stories. And to me, that's really powerful. And now it does, I get to help create characters and come up with their stories. So come up with a backstory for um, four characters a month, which is kind of fun. Very and we're cool. actually working one in December that uses a wheelchair. And I'm also working with another company as a freelancer and I am, they are releasing a animated TV show for kids and one of the star kids is in a chair. So I consulted with them to ensure that the chair looked like it should. And then now I read each episode and watch the videos to ensure that he's animating properly. Right on. Yeah. So uh, on to sports here, uh, you competed internationally in wheelchair tennis. What was that like for you? Um, it's awesome. It's super fun. I think it's more about the community than, than the sport. Well, there's lots to it, but I didn't start competing till 2012. And it's not something that I am able to do full time. Um, and I'm also, I mean, I'm T4, arguably T1, according to Dr. K. So I am the worst level of disability you could ever have for the open division in tennis, right? Because I'm playing people with a broken toe, basically. Yeah. They have full core, et cetera. I work full time. I'm never going to go far. But I went to Australia last year. I won my first tournament, which was super fun. Low there level tournament. Thank you. Um, I think there's something about sport that teaches you determination. It teaches you how to fail. It teaches you how to succeed. It teaches you how to be okay with failure. Um, it teaches you how to learn. It teaches you how to lose and it teaches you how to win and for me winning was tough because you're playing one opponent and seeing that other person especially if they don't react well is really hard for me like my heart is like oh I don't want them to be upset so <laughs> winning for me sometimes was harder than losing but yeah there's just something about the sporting life for people with disabilities it's pretty incredible and going back to what I said earlier you get to learn that People with disabilities come in all different shapes and sizes, and there are really, really close friends that I never would have met without traveling for tennis, and I've learned so much from them. Did you do any other sports? Uh, I used to um, outrigger canoe, so I was the only person with a disability on the team, so I did a couple races, and um, just with the regular, there was a six-man canoe, and nothing else competitively but I've tried every sport so played basketball not very good um <laughs> I have a bike I swim I badminton competed in that a few times more because they needed people more than anything and just what's, I like to be involved it's what's the most exhilarating thing that you've done something that gives you a good rush uh bungee jumping yeah. Um, I went in the south of France, went paragliding, which was pretty awesome. This guy 
sort of took you in this like wheelbarrow style thing, which was also part of a tennis tournament. So the tennis tournament offered this as an activity. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. So you're in this wheelbarrow style stroller and this guy's behind you and like half an hour of flying over the mountains and seeing the water in the south of France. Pretty awesome. Did I've been parasailing three times, once in Hawaii, once in uh once in Hawaii, once in Kelowna and once in Mexico where I was almost hit into palm trees because don't ever go parasailing in Mexico. It's just not safe. Too late. Already did it. <laughs> there you go. Um, super fun. That's exhilarating. I've tried things that I like. I've tried skiing. I've tried four times and I just don't. It's just not for me. And that's a really hard thing to say. Um, to admit that failure and to admit that I just don't like it and it scares me. That's uh, cool. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, you get to that place where you're like, okay, I can fail at something. I'm not very good at admitting that ever. Mm -hmm. I wrote an article when I was 16, that was an essay for school. And it was basically about my experience. <laughs> they said, write, at a write about something you had to take a risk. So I wrote about my accident and then it was published in the Vancouver Sun. And it was called the only failure is failing to try, which I really believe that's a life motto that everybody should have. So I will try everything once. Zip lining in Whistler, they are so, so good with people with disabilities. Um, Superfly, amazing. That company is like A1. They took an SCIBC team of people. I think there was 20 of us in chairs and they accommodated it all. And it was so much fun. Did you ever go zip lining in uh, Maui? up country no there's there's zip lining up there i was thinking that would be fun to try yeah it's just so fun i just would want to make sure the superfly one has a back harness so like the the harness thing you sit in goes all the way up your back whereas i've they were explaining that some just kind of go on your bum which i don't yeah. know but yeah then you flip over backwards and you're up yeah <laughs> yes exactly. it's crazy um i I'm not sure if it was exhilarating or scary as heck, but when my dad and I were in Hawaii, we tried to do something fun every time. And, and my dad wasn't all that adventurous, but we went swimming with the manta rays in, on the big island. Mm -hmm. And we were with this company that was super sketchy. And they were, they were parked like, I don't know. It seemed like about... 500 meters away from everybody else who was holding on to these foam things to look down while the manta rays swam underneath you. But it was pitch black. It's like eight o'clock at night, Hawaii, super dark. Mm -hmm. And then we had to swim back to the boat. And of course I'm holding a flashlight and can only use one arm to swim. And we're swimming against the waves coming in. Um, and my dad had broken his arm the year before. And he's just like, it's okay. We're going to make it. Like it's pitch black. It's kind of scary. <laughs> so I really, I highly recommend swimming with mandrays if you can get over the other things. It's like watching a ballet. They just, they literally, they brush up against your skin and they're huge and they are stunningly beautiful. Yeah. I've been lucky enough off uh, White Cliff to swim with the skates. They're sort of like a manta ray. Oh, okay. 
I don't know what a skate is, but yeah, just like a manta ray, basically. Hmm. And Beautiful, pretty, eh? Not not just like, but similar. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've been scuba diving in Australia and in Hawaii, both scary and exhilarating at the same time. Australia ended up in a cave swimming. I'm like, oh my gosh, where am I? Um, and just being able to try those things and and show people. I remember when we went scuba diving in Hawaii, I didn't, I'd never done my certificate or anything. And they were teaching a course. And my mom said to the guy, oh, my daughter wants to try. And he looks over and goes, the one in the wheelchair? <laughs> my mom's like, yeah, that's my daughter. And he goes, can she swim? <laughs> She's like, yes, she can swim. But just... I think part of it is proving to other people that you can do it, which probably isn't the right reason to do some things, but it is a validating feeling once you do it and you can say to someone else that, Hey, I've done this. Yeah. It, it, it feels pretty good to, yeah. uh, to do something that scares the hell out of you. Yeah. Yes. I know as I get older, I find myself questioning how many of my health issues are about getting older and how many are about getting older with an SCI? It's yeah. the same for you. Do you feel like that? Well, thankfully, I'm not as old as you yet, Brian, but uh, hopefully we I'm never come that old. Kidding. Um, yeah, I think, you know, some of it I'm, I, I wonder how much of it is my injury, how much of it is menopause, what are we relating this to? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, and I think what was really, really, really hard for me working at GF Strong and was one of the reasons that I couldn't do it anymore was I would say about a good 60% of the people that you come across are completely defeated. And about 40% of those sometimes will never change. And for me, seeing everyone who, you know, had all this money just given to them, had this life that they could go and just do whatever they wanted. It was tough to realize, like, I have to work. I have to do this. I don't have insurance. Um, and it was also really tough to be around that negative attitude all the time. And then no matter what you did, it wouldn't change their point of view. It wouldn't change their outlook. And you tried. Um, but that was really, really tough for me to be around that negativity day in and day out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it must be exhausting. It is pretty exhausting, depending on the people. And I mean, you meet gems, like absolute gems. And then others, you're just... I never wanted my life to be tied to disability. Um, I don't know that I fully believe that anymore, but I, I wanted to break free as a way to prove to others that I was capable of doing things that didn't have to do with disability. But I'm also pretty proud of myself of what I've done. I don't think I'm an egotistical person or that, but I just got the, I can never say it, the Gavert Award, the Rehab Award. Okay. And is that through Tetra? Through BC Rehab. And BC it's Rehab. For, okay, sorry. 
it's for exception it's for exception in rehab and I need some new seating and it's expensive and the physios are like well you should apply for this award it's not typically given to anyone who's like further than two years out of rehab but in the past it, they're starting to do it a little more often because it wasn't available and I was at GF Strong yesterday and I ran into this person they said I was so glad to see it was you who won and it just made me feel really good like I must have done something to make her know who I am right yeah, well you're pretty visible like you're yeah. in a lot of stuff so I'm in a lot of stuff yeah. yeah uh we talked about something earlier uh, you shared with me before that you decided to have a breast reduction what went into the decision for you to do that? So in my 20s, I've always had larger breasts. And I saw a doctor who um, put me on their list to have this reduction. And then I never heard from them. I later found out that unfortunately, the doctor had passed away, but it always had been on my mind. And for me, um, I was having a lot of pain in my neck and a lot of pain in my shoulder. And I mean, you can imagine, you know, not having stomach muscles and then imagine mm -hmm. 10 pounds hanging on your chest and trying to balance with those 10 pounds. Um, so I weighed out the pros and cons. Every single person I talked to was like, it's the best decision I ever made, blah, blah, blah. So far, not the best decision I ever made. Um, it's almost two years post and I'm still having some residual effects in my nipple um they do not tell you that <laughs> if you're a para or a quad with um no stomach muscles that previously when you just saw your boobs you will now see a rounded belly <laughs> um so that was definitely hard to get used to and i i mean it's tough i think I can feel half my breasts. I can feel half my nipple. Um, and that for me was like, that was the last part of me sexually that wasn't affected by my spinal cord injury. And I went and changed that. And I'm still, I'm still handling the psychological effects of it that I don't think anyone prepared me for. And I've done some searching now on the internet and there are some articles of people who say they weren't fully prepared for the changes that it would make to their body and what they would lose. And I mean, you know, you grieve losing the use of your legs, et cetera. I know it might sound silly, but I think I'm still grieving losing that part of me. Wow. Do you feel it's changed how you experience your womanhood? I think so. Yeah. And I think that's what I, you know, it, it I think sexuality with SCI is, is how you feel, but you also um, incorporate how society feels and what you read and what you see and with um, social media coming at you, et cetera. And they got in the way. Like, um, I also hid them well. Like, people would be like, oh, I didn't know you had big boobs. And then I feel like, yeah, you should see them without a bra. But it still was part of me. And although it has helped, it has not gotten rid of any of my neck or back pain. Um, it is 
a little bit easier to balance, but not much. It's definitely helped with tennis in terms of how I move. Um, but the, the sexuality part of it, I think I'm still sort of coming to terms with. Oh, what would you like other women with SCI to know about breast reduction? I think, um, really weigh the pros and cons and really think about, is this something that is part of your identity? And is this something that um, you actually want to hold on to? Mm -hmm. Some people I've interviewed in the past have commented that uh, COVID was a big stretch for them. Staying home often seems to be the case for a lot of people with disabilities. Did you find yourself staying home around COVID time? Or are you still noticing that? Yes, and I still don't leave the house. It still scares me a little. Um, I did find the series that SCIBC did very interesting. We They didn't ask the expert. And the one thing that I um, took the most from was there was uh, an expert, an infectious disease expert, and someone asked, will a lack of lung capacity change the COVID experience for me? Will it change COVID? Does it mean I'm gonna get a worse version of COVID than say a mild cold? And the person had said that the only thing we're experiencing that changes the type of COVID you get is um, high blood pressure. So if you have high blood pressure pills, they believe that the, that medication is changing your COVID experience. And my mom has high blood pressure. so. I've always wanted to protect her. Um, I also was one of the people who did not have a surgery canceled. I had carpal tunnel surgery scheduled for April and the surgery went ahead. So it was kind of a nice time to not be able to leave the house because I couldn't really wheel anyway. Yeah, a lot uh, of circles. Yeah, I did. I lost my job. I shouldn't say I lost my job, but my contract ended in January with the last company that I was at. I was working at Electronic Arts. And it was tough experiencing everything that was happening and all the media that was coming at you when you weren't working. And none of the reliefs um, in terms of monetary reliefs matched what I was going through because I lost it before, like a month before this happened. Okay. Uh, it, was, it was tough, but it was also sometimes a weird psychological excuse to stay home. Um, I missed tennis. I missed, you know, I was playing tennis two or three times a week. I was playing badminton sort of once a week, depending on the time of year it was starting again. I played basketball once a week. I missed those activities. I found that I became a little bit more sedentary and um, wasn't doing a lot before my surgery. And then after my surgery, nothing. But I also think it was really neat to see all the people come together over zoom. Like there was people that I wouldn't normally talk to and we were having zoom drinks and, um, connecting on video and it's wine Wednesday. Wine Wednesday. Yes. Wednesday. It's created, a, a format for people to work at home, which I think will help people with disabilities in the future because no longer can they say, we don't know how to do this. Yeah. It's doable. So what, what are the changes you've implemented in your life now? Just stay home more. Just staying home? Are you, are you getting out for a bit of exercise and stuff? And I haven't yet. I have an arm ergometer at home that I've started using again. And 
Some of the exercise classes that have been online through Zoom have been awesome. Um, I joined a dance class that's out of Utah that's super fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and that was something that they did in person. And my friend who I play tennis with who lives in Utah, she um, said, oh, we're doing this online now. You should come join us. So I did. Um, and then SEIBC did a bunch of exercise classes. I was like my hand from my carpal tunnel was still healing. So, and then oh, tried to get out for walks, et cetera. Keep rolling. Keep rolling. You said in your bio that you like puzzles and you, and said that earlier, uh, what's some of your favorite kinds of puzzles? Um, well, I like solving puzzles at work, but I like jigsaw puzzles. I absolutely love jigsaw puzzles, but they have to be Springbok brand jigsaw puzzles. Oh, okay. Pieces just fall apart. I love a good puzzle myself. Ah, I love it. Colors and figuring out where the piece goes and yeah, which I, I kind of do at work. So I do a lot of scheduling. I do a lot of moving things around and figuring out when we have someone throw a wrench into what we're planning, just fixing that puzzle. Cool. Can you leave me with some words of wisdom? Tomorrow is always another day. Words of what, wisdom. The 14 year old. What were those words of wisdom? <laughs> you know what my words of wisdom was when I was 14? I was told to see the therapist and I wrote all over the whiteboard, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's what I wrote. I think for me, what's always helped me is no matter what I'm experiencing, I know there is someone down the street, in the world, wherever I am, that is experiencing something worse. And there are so many things. It sounds so cheesy to be thankful for, but there are so many things that I am lucky for, and it could be so much worse. So yeah. why not have fun? And I think my other big thing that I've learned in life is that everyone should be given a chance. Everyone is a person and everyone has a reason to be who they are and if you give them a second to figure out who that person is and why they are who they are you might have a different view of them instead of judging them by that cover and I think that goes for anyone with disabilities and learning and not just reacting to what your preconceived notion is of a minority group or a person or someone with a disability, whoever that might be. And I think once you take a second to learn and open up your heart and open up your eyes, you'll be surprised what you find. And I think that's something I had to learn as a kid who was told that people with disabilities weren't worth it. And I was destined and determined to not be a person with a disability. And then realizing later down the road that that wasn't right, that people with disabilities were worth it. I was a person with a disability and I met all these people who were way cooler than I and they had disabilities. And it was that eye-opening moment of, wow, people are people. They sure are. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. No problem. Um, I feel like you have a lot to teach me too. 
Well, I mean, our own story is pretty cool, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think another huge thing is you never know who you're going to meet. And for people who think, well, that'll never happen to me. I mean, I know four people who are people I either knew before I was injured or somehow through family members, they knew these people like you and I, you jumped on our trampoline before my accident. And now look at us both freaking rolling through life i know it's crazy just to think how it all just seems to fit together all the time and and you get surprised every time you you turn a corner almost about how we're all connected we need to look after this planet and make it a better place yes we do yes we do and there are bigger things than us and there are bigger things than disabilities so Let's learn from it and keep rolling. Thanks so much to Kirsten for joining me on the program today. Make sure you check out her Passion Project SCIBC TV on YouTube. We will put up the links on our Quad Life Facebook page. Well, that's it for the show today. Don't forget, when things go a little sideways, just shit your pants and get back out there.